My name is Cameron, one of the pastors here, and I seem to be the sermon series kickoff man. So I am kicking off our new series through Romans 8 this morning. But before we dive into today's text, verses 1 through 4, let me just say a quick word about how Romans 8 fits into the greater context of the book of Romans. So hang with me. I know sometimes background details are boring, but I'll make it quick and painless, okay? So the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the church in Rome during his third missionary journey. And this church was founded by believers with a Jewish background, but over time, since many Gentiles lived in Rome, uh, the church became incredibly diverse. And that's a beautiful thing, but sometimes it creates challenges. Different backgrounds create unique tension. And so in this case, there was disagreement about the role that the law played regarding salvation. So I think we can sum up Paul's purpose for writing Romans and, and by just saying this. He wrote Romans to clarify the gospel and to unite the church in the gospel. Okay, so as we go through Romans, as he clarifies the gospel, the following theme emerges. And I think this will pop up on the screen for us, the theme of the book of Romans. Just the redheaded man right now. Okay, here we go. Um, well, I think we're a little bit behind, but let me read the theme. The theme of Romans is that God reveals his judging and saving righteousness in Jesus. So we serve a righteous God, but he's also full of mercy. And we see this prominently displayed in the cross of Christ. So now a little outline should pop up. There we go. And I'm not going to go through that word for word, but just want to at least help you to see how eight fits in. And I'll summarize this by simply saying that the gospel is glorious news. That's what Romans leads in with. But we're sinners, and because of our sins, we're recipients of God's wrath. But when we trust in Jesus, he removes our sins, and we get the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we have a brand new hope. So that's a quick introduction in a nutshell. And so God gave us Romans 8, one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible, to infuse us with fresh gospel hope. And so this chapter, uh, God shows us all the blessings and the privileges that we have as believers. All the blessings the Spirit gives us. And I think we could sum up all these blessings with the simple word, assurance. How many of y'all need some assurance this morning? The word assurance simply means to give confidence or to make a promise. And assuring words serve to give us hope and peace amid the storms of life. Now, some of these severe storms we've had lately, they reminded me of the time I was almost taken out by a tornado in East Tennessee. So I was about 10 years old. Tennessee was getting hammered by severe weather. Uh, my mom was taking a nap, and my little town didn't have any kind of warning system, no siren systems. All we had was the local news. And I can just remember being glued to the TV, listening to every word that the meteorologist said to me. And he suddenly says, hey, there's a tornado warning. And in fact, there's a tornado on the ground in Teleco Plains, Tennessee right now. That's my hometown. And immediately after that, not exaggerating, I hear the sound of a freight train. And as opposed to going to the basement, I go to the window. And as I look out the window, I, I see a, a tornado drop over my house, and it lands on the back of my neighbor's house. And I'll never forget that memory of swirling debris as it took off half of their roof and a lot of their siding. 
and it went on to wreak havoc in our neighborhood. And so you can imagine as a young boy, for a grown man for that matter, that was a terrifying moment. I'd seen that Family Channel movie, The Night of the Twisters. Remember the cheesy knockoff of Twister with Helen Hunt in it? And I was scared to death. Is this the night of the Twister? Well, then, then suddenly, I feel this loving pair of arms wrap around me, and the tornado had woke my mom up. And there she was trying to comfort me, her, her son, saying, Hey, it's over, Cameron. The storm is gone. You're safe with me. And so her words of assurance served to give me peace in the midst of the greatest storm that I had experienced. And so City Light, in Romans 8, 1 through 4, I believe we see the Apostle Paul uh, giving us words of assurance for a reoccurring storm that we all experience. In fact, it's a storm that has caused me more anguish of soul than any storm, any physical storm I have faced. And I am speaking of the storm of the soul known as self-condemnation. Have you ever struggled with self-condemnation? I'm speaking of those moments when, as a believer, you sin in serious ways, or you get trapped in a pattern of repeated sin, and that sin pattern creates anguish in your soul, and it causes you to cry out and to question God. It makes you wonder about your salvation. You ask questions like, God, how could I really be a Christian and still blank? You can fill in your own blank. How can I still be a Christian when I keep sliding back into sexual sin? How can I really be one of yours, God, when I keep losing my patience with my family, when I'm short with my spouse, or when I yell at my kids? You know, if you've sinned in serious ways as a believer that causes you to be racked with guilt, I want you to take heart this morning because your pastor's been there. We have all been there. And understand, you even have the empathy of the Apostle Paul in this text. Now, Romans 8.1 gives us one of the most reassuring promises in all of Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But anytime we see the word therefore in Scripture, what question do we have to ask? What's it there for? So you have to go backwards. So more context. This links us back to Paul's previous discussion in chapter 7 regarding his battle with sin. I think his battle is summarized in verse 15. I want you to see if you've ever felt this way. Here it is. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Have you ever been there? I mean, I feel this on a regular basis. So Paul is saying, I can relate. I know what it's like to struggle beneath the weight of my sin. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be a spiritually conflicted person. Now, there's a lot of debate among the scholars, the eggheads of theology, about whether Romans 7 refers to his life as an unbeliever or as a believer. Well, whatever the case is, the commentators are really split the application doesn't change. Whatever, you're, whatever camp you're in, in your struggle with sin, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need it for the first time, and you need it for the second, third, and fourth, and fifth time. You know, if you're not a Christian, you need to get acquainted with the good news that your acceptance before God is not based on your performance. It's based on Christ's perfect performance on your behalf. Therefore, the way you get justified, that is, saved from the penalty of sin, saved from hell, 
It's not through your own righteousness. Rather, it's about turning from your sins and trusting in Christ's goodness on your behalf. Now, if you're a struggling Christian here this morning, you need to get reacquainted with the gospel. We need an everyday reminder that our acceptance, too, is not based on our performance. Yes, I praise God that the Holy Spirit of God allows us to keep the law of God to some degree, but understand, you will never keep it perfectly in this existence. This is glorious news for a perfectionist like me. Uh, Your good standing with God is based on Christ's perfection that has been credited to your account. And so what Paul's doing in chapters 7 and 8 is he's giving us empathy in 7, and then he's moving to the antidote in Romans 8. Uh, The storm of the soul known as self-condemnation, it will only be calmed in your heart as the gospels press deeper into your lives. So the next time you wrestle with that, hey, you know you're in Christ, you've trusted in him, when that storm rages in your heart, I want you to apply, rehearse the following three truths from Romans 8, 1 through 4. And here's the first one. There is no condemnation in Jesus. Receive that. O Spirit of God, press that into our hearts this morning. In verses 1 through 2, we see that a new declaration has been spoken over us, God's children. Again, verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say that there's not any sin for those of us who are in Christ. Romans 3.23 makes it clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even after we've been forgiven from our sin, um, sin still will remain in us until we die or until Jesus comes back. But what makes the gospel such glorious news is that despite our sin, if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no punishment for us. See, when Paul uses the word condemnation, he has in mind the penalty that we must pay because of our sins. And so we, ask, we have to ask, what is the penalty? Well, the penalty is unpopular in our culture, but it's severe. It's eternal separation from God. It's eternal punishment from God in hell. And so in our sinful condition, we're hopeless and we're in desperate need of a divine intervention. But thankfully, God did intervene. Out of his love and mercy, he sent his son Jesus to save us. Christ came from heaven to earth to save us from the penalty of our sins. And when we turn from our sins and trust in him, that eternal separation is over. And that we enjoy a renewed relationship with our heavenly father. Through Jesus, we regain a glorious and good standing with God. And now the key to regaining this good status is that little phrase that we saw a lot in Colossians that pops up again in verse 1, in Christ. Such a powerful phrase. Now, Paul uses this phrase and it informs the doctrine that we call union with Jesus. Remember Colossians 3.3, Paul put it this way, your life is hidden with Christ in Christ. God. So in a mysterious way, when we trust in Jesus, our lives are hidden in his. His life becomes our life. And understand that Paul uses this little phrase over 200 times in his letters. Why does he do that? 
He wants us to get it in our bones that, yes, our status is inadequate, but the status of Jesus is perfect. And the only hope we have of being free from condemnation is being found in him. And we're put in him through faith in him. You know, when I think of union with Christ, for whatever reason, my mind goes to Russian nesting dolls. Have you ever traveled overseas and brought these back when you come back from vacation? You probably all have a set somewhere. Now, this does not do justice to our Lord, but imagine the big one's Jesus, okay? He doesn't look like that. Too white skin, rosy cheeks. That is not Jesus. But just imagine for a moment. And then imagine the small ones, maybe the ones with loincloths on, Adam and Eve, that's us. Uh, but in reality, we would be a whole lot more broken up and busted up because of sin. So imagine the little ones are us broken and busted. And then suddenly a fine art sur- surveyor comes along and we're in trouble. But, but the good news is the little dolls, the busted dolls, get put in the big, beautiful doll. When the art purveyor comes along, he doesn't see the busted little ones. All he sees is the big, beautiful one. And so City Law, understand that your spiritual reality is, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, your life is now hidden in his. Yes, you will still sin at times. You've failed and you'll keep failing. But when you're in Christ, the perfect status of your beautiful big brother Jesus becomes your status. Do you understand that the righteousness of Christ covers all of your sins? And when God the Father, the judge of the universe, looks your way, he doesn't see your sins anymore. All he sees is the perfection of Jesus Christ. It's incredible news for us. And then the news gets better. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, Paul uses the word law in a lot of different ways. He can be confusing at times. Peter himself said, hey, Paul's hard to understand on occasion. But in this context, law simply means power or binding authority. So he's saying that, hey, there's a greater power, there's a greater authority. The power of the Holy Spirit, because it's greater, it has freed you from the power of sin and death. There's a greater authority working in your life to give you liberation. And so when we see freedom language here, I think there's another connection back to Romans 7. As Paul reflects on his battle with sin, he cries out in verses 24 and 25. And see if you've been here again. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now when you study history... At least one reference for this phrase, body of death, refers back to a Roman capital punishment for murder. So it would happen on occasion when one person killed another person and they were caught, they would be bound to the corpse that they killed. Leg to leg, arm to arm, chest to chest, face to face. So eventually the disease, the rottenness, the foulness would be transferred over and would consume both parties. The murderer would die a cruel death. And so Paul's using this graphic physical image to say, hey, that's what was going on inside of me. Because of personal sin, I became a slave to sin. I was on my way to eternal ruin. And no matter how hard I tried, I could not get free. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, he freed me from the penalty of sin. He delivered me from the body of death. 
And City Light, understand this is your reality too if you've trusted in Christ. The Spirit of God has delivered you from the penalty of sin. Your sinful shackles have been severed, never to be reconnected. A cruel, eternal fate is no longer yours. So yes, in your struggle with sin, I I know I feel this way. I don't always feel like the penalty is over. And yes, the stench of that former body of death will still remain to a degree because we'll all still sin to a degree in this life. But in your moments of despair, when you're doubting your salvation, simply confess your sins and remind yourself of your new reality. You're connected to Jesus. And there is there now for no condemnation for God's kids who are connected to him. Somebody better say amen this morning. Okay, just making sure you're still alive and breathing. It's good news for me. I need this. I hope you do too. But now, after we receive this declaration, we still have to ask a question. How can God pardon our sin and still be a just God? We see this enigma all throughout Scripture. For God to be just, a penalty has to be paid. Well, here's the second assuring truth we see in this text. Number two, God sacrificed his son to save us. That is the way that he can still be just and yet extend mercy to us. And so Jesus' death on the cross, we had a declaration, but now we see a demonstration of the depth of his love for us. And so verse 3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And so now Paul is talking about the Old Testament law. He says it's been weakened by the flesh. And here the word flesh doesn't mean physical flesh, my fair-skinned, freckled flesh. It means that sinful inclination in us. You know, the Bible says we're sinners by nature and choice. We have a sin nature. We cannot help but sin. And the function of the law is to serve as a mirror. It shows us that, yeah, you actually do have a sin nature in case you're wondering. But the bad news about the law is is that it cannot give us a brand new nature. It only condemns us. And so we need a divine intervention if we're going to be saved. And so again, thankfully, what the law could not do, God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then verse 3 goes on to say, by sending his own son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so we know the story. Jesus came from heaven to earth and he took on flesh. And he experienced the fullness of the human condition. He can empathize with us because he came, became a man. And he faced every temptation that we face, yet he conquered those without sinning. And he was perfectly faithful to God's plan of redemption which eventually led him to the cruel cross. And on the cross, Paul says he condemned sin in the flesh. And all that phrase means is that on the cross, Jesus became your substitute sacrifice. This is the way, again, that God's able to maintain his justice while simultaneously forgiving us. On the cross, Jesus became sin for us. On the cross, Jesus Christ suffered in our place. And so all of our lies, our lust, our greed, our envy, our insecurities, our selfishness, all that was placed on his selfless shoulders on the cross. See, on the cross, the punishment that we should have received, 
It was diverted from us and directed to the Son of God. City Light, on the cross, Jesus endured the greatest storm in history. He endured the full fury of God's wrath. And he endured that so you never have to face it in your existence. You know, City Light, when we sin greatly, the temptation is to believe that, well, we've fallen out of favor with God. I'm going to have to somehow pay the penalty. I thought that was over. Now, make no mistake about it, God does not wink at sin. He takes sin seriously in the lives of his kids. Hebrews says that he will discipline the ones that he loves. And so it's, it's prudent that we walk in a posture of confession and repentance. We should strive to constantly walk in the light. But listen, if you've trusted in Jesus, the penalty has been paid for. You don't have to face the wrath of God. And so just as my mom wrapped her loving arms around me and reassured me that I was safe... Allow this word to have the same function in your life this morning. Hear the word of Jesus. If you're in Christ, his loving arms wraps around you. He assures you that there's no condemnation. The storm is over. I have endured it on your behalf. You're safe. You have nothing to be afraid of. And so not only did Jesus die the death that we deserve to die, but he also lived the life that we can never live. Now keep in mind that God's Demands are high, and in order to be in his presence, he he requires perfection. And this is an impossible task, but verse 4 gives us more good news. The author says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So as I alluded to earlier, in his earthly existence, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He lived a perfectly good life. He lived a life that we can never live. And when we trust in Jesus, this beautiful, remarkable exchange takes place. Not only does he remove our sins, but in their place we receive his righteousness. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that, hey, we're all actually spiritually bankrupt. And the glorious news is when we trust in him, he imputes or credits our account with his goodness. Therefore, the righteous requirements of the law, they're actually fulfilled in us. But it's not through our obedience. It's through the perfect obedience of Jesus. And, and, and it's mind-blowing, but when we become united with Christ, God actually accounts us as having perfectly kept the law. I mean, this is good news, especially for people like us who feel the pressure to perform. We dread performance evaluations. We know that in some sectors, in many sectors of life, that we have to keep performing in order for authorities to be happy with us. You know, I told you once that my high school days were spent being a fish dipper at Walmart. And I was an all-star back in my sophomore and junior years. Things started out so well. I had so much promise. But then suddenly my senior year, I got a little bit irresponsible I began to value my social life over my work life, and things went south quick. And so I'll never forget the day that I stroll in 20 minutes late, and the Walmart scanner wouldn't accept my badge. And I was wondering, you know, what was going on? And so I went down to the manager's office, and I said, hey, I just wanted to figure out why I can't clock in. And, and they said, oh, Cameron, you're just the man we've been wanting to talk to. And I said, okay. And so I sat down in the chair, and they pulled my file out. 
And here are the words that come out of my manager's mouth. Uh, Cameron, you've got 13 tardies and six unexcused absences. Uh, do you have anything to say for yourself? And again, I was going through this kind of cocky phase, um, not really walking in the spirit. And I said, well, you know, honestly, work has really been getting in the way of a lot of fun lately. <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of dawned on me lately that I'd much rather spend time with females than fish. And the manager said, well, we can fix that for you. And they made me turn in my keys to the fish tank, and they showed me to the door. I'm ashamed of that right now. The only job I've ever been fired from. And so every time since then, during a job application or an interview, I get asked the question, have you ever been fired from a job? I have to ask back, does my high school fish dipping career count? I've had to say that over and over again. And so we know in life that if we don't meet performance expectations, our bosses will show us the door. We'll get separated from the company. Well, the bad news is that in the eyes of God, none of us ever measure up. We can't do that in our own power. We're separated from him. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to because Jesus Christ measured up for us. When we trust in him, his goodness becomes our goodness. His righteousness has been permanently credited to your account, never to be removed. It cannot be withdrawn. So City Light, listen, this means that if you're in Jesus, some of you really need to hear this this morning, that your Heavenly Father, He is perfectly and permanently pleased with you. Yes, we can still grieve Him because of our sins, but if we're in Christ, we cannot fall out of favor with God. We are favored with God forever because of Christ's performance on our behalf. And so not only do we have a new declaration, a demonstration of God's love, the final thing we see here is that we have a brand new destiny. And I love um, this final point, verse or point three. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live a brand new life. Praise God for that. Uh, I'm not the man I want to be, but I am not the fish dipper I once was, okay? The Spirit of God empowers. I've never been fired from a ministry job. Praise God. <laughs> so not only does Jesus give us a new eternal destiny, but listen... Jesus also desires to give you a brand new earthly destiny. It won't be perfect, but through his power, it can be different. And verse 4b says, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so if the latter verses were an antidote for self-condemnation, here's some fuel for self-doubt. So you might be hearing, you might be saying, well, Cameron, I, I get that God's forgiven my past sins. I have his righteousness. He's forgiven me. But man, I've struggled so much. Addiction, whatever. Is there really fresh hope for the future? Um, can these sinful patterns in my life really be broken? Can my life be different or am I destined to repeat past behavior? Well, verse 4b is simply saying that when we understand that there's no condemnation in Jesus. And that that same Spirit of God that freed us from sin now lives within us. We no longer have to walk according to the flesh. Once you have been saved from hell, you no longer have to live like hell. You have all the resources you need. God's given us everything to walk in newness of life. City like Christ's work in our life gives us a new motivation and a new empowerment. And here's how the motivation works. When we focus on the gospel continually, that's why we're a gospel-centered church. 
when we rehearse again and again the great love God's shown us through the sacrifice of his son, that creates affection in us for the Heavenly Father. When we're reminded of our rescue again and again, it creates a want to in our hearts to obey God, to live a new life. Then City Light, when we understand that Jesus, that has, same Jesus that has forgiven our sins actually lives within us, he even empowers us internally to please God. So this morning, do not buy into the myth that all you are is background in biology. Do not give into the lie that the only resource you have is your backbone. You know, the enemy says that you're alone in your struggle with sin. But the gospel says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The enemy says, based on your family history, that you can't be fixed. But the gospel says, no, you're a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. He has given you the status of Christ. And he has filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit so you can walk in newness of life. Yes, sin will still remain. Oh, I feel it. Many mornings I cry out in my prayer journal, oh, wretched man that Cameron is. We won't follow God perfectly, but he has given us all sufficient resources to break the pattern of sin in our lives. Now, I have to close by confessing that my heart has been slow to receive this at times. You know, last Sunday was Father's Day, and as you guys know, I've never met my dad. And I have to confess that fatherlessness has produced a lot of fear in my life. There's been so many days that fear of repeating past family mistakes, they have kept me from, from moving ahead. They've paralyzed me. That fear has kept me from making necessary decisions in the here and now. And my case in point this morning is my marriage to my lovely life, wife, Brittany. And I'm ashamed to admit this, but Brittany and I were friends for years. And then we dated for three years before we got engaged. And can I just say that was way too long? You can figure out if you want to marry a woman a lot sooner than that. So I'm confessing my sin to you this morning. The only regret I have about my marriage is that I did not marry that woman much sooner than what I did. And the reason I delayed, though, was because I was bogged down with self-doubt. Honestly, thoughts swirled in my head. Could, could I really be a committed husband? When so many people had walked out on me in my life, would she really stay? Could I be a good daddy someday? Or would I be destined to repeat the sins of my father and stepfather and do damage to her and my family? I had never witnessed with my own eyes a healthy marriage during my formative years. And listen, I knew the gospel. I was a lead pastor. I preached the gospel. But the remedy, what helped me get over the hump, was having the gospel pressed in again and again and again through a pastoral mentor. Cameron, you are a brand new creation in Christ. You have a new identity. You need to hear that. You preach it. Receive it. He's freed you from your sins. The spirit that freed you now lives in you, and he desires to give you a brand new life. Your past, Cameron, doesn't determine your future reality. Jesus has intervened, and he desires to give you a brand new destiny. And over time, over some weeks, through counsel, what Jesus helped me to see was this. I will never be a perfect husband, but that's okay. If I center my marriage on Christ, and if we depend on him every day of our lives, then I can be a faithful husband. 
And Brittany can be a faithful wife. And so the Spirit helped me to take the leap. Rather, uh, he helped us both to take the leap. She was actually ready a long time ago. And today, yeah, my favorite hashtag for uh, 2017 was praise God she waited. I mean, honestly, she should have left a long time ago. And today, this very Sunday, we're celebrating our one-year wedding anniversary. So I'm so thankful. So thankful. You know, marriage has proved to be challenging at times. Uh, Marriage is a lot like the law. It's a mirror to show you your selfishness, especially when you only have one bathroom. It gets challenging at times. But Brittany and I actually don't walk in despair. We don't walk in condemnation. The Spirit of God's given us a brand new confidence. If we keep our gospel realities before us and keep depending on the Spirit of God in us, then we can really have a different marriage, different than the ones we saw when we were growing up. And so, City Light, though the storms of self-condemnation, self-doubt, they will range. They can be calmed if you will speak into those doubts with these reassuring words from Romans 8. Jesus has forgiven our past, and he's given us all a brand new future in Christ. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Then we'll take communion. Oh, Father, thank you for that declaration. There is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Oh, God, may we receive that. Yes, God, we have to confess sin. doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean that we're perfectly accepted because of your perfection. So, oh, God, may the Spirit of God press that in. May we receive that this morning. So, God, if there are people here that are discouraged, doubting, give them a fresh shot of assurance through this word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.